Hi everyone, today we'll learn more about a company called Pearl. I'm really excited as it's the first company building tech for dentistry on our podcast. Pearl AI assists dental professionals by identifying issues earlier and with high precision. Applying computer vision technologies to read and interpret dental imagery, Pearl recognizes and measures dozens of dental pathologies, restorative features, and natural anatomy. These detections provide the basis for a range of robust insights that clinicians, practice owners, labs, and insurers use to elevate the efficiency, accuracy, and consistency of dental healthcare. To talk about Pearl, I'll be joined today by the company CEO of your tans and the chief clinical officer, Dr. Kyle Stanley. They seem to be a perfect match of the tech and healthcare world. Ophir is a successful serial entrepreneur building AI companies. One of them was GumGum, a contextual intelligence platform now worth over $1 billion. And Dr. Stanley, who was named the top 10 young educators in dentistry, was traveling around the world to talk about dental innovation. He also specialized in implant and dental surgery and became a partner at a leading private practice in Beverly Hills. Our today's guest is Ophir Tans and Dr. Kyle Stanley. Gentlemen, pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here. Where does this podcast find you? I'm currently at my home in Los Angeles. And I am also at my home in Orange County, California. Great. I'd love to start with the early days of your company, Pearl AI. We'd love to learn about what made you really start this company and what were your motivations behind it? Yeah, I could take that one. You know, I've been a technology entrepreneur for some time. My previous company was a company called GumGum that I founded back in 2008. And that company was really driven by artificial intelligence, more specifically computer vision, and that we process a lot of the known internet on a daily basis and created a contextual understanding of what was happening from a visual perspective and used that in a variety of ways in the media category and grew that company to be fairly successful. It's now, you know, well over a billion dollars in value and, and ramping up to go public. And I ran that as a CEO and founder for 11 years. Along the way, I really got interested in applying that technology more widely. So launched a series of other divisions within the company that were able to leverage our unique advantages as it related to our ability to train computer vision oriented systems at scale. And I've long been interested in you know doing good for the world and in improving people's lives in fundamental ways. And I thought dentistry might be a really interesting application of the technology because it was very clear to me at the time that, at least from a radiographic perspective, AI was going to be introduced into these various categories of medicine and really help improve patient care and patient lives by virtue of being able to diagnose pathology and other potential detections and issues in ways that you know surpass humans' ability to do so, or at the very least, assist humans in doing so better. So I know this is sort of a bit of a long story, but to sort of sum it up, I got interested in this category. I actually went to one of the top dental practices just personally in LA, and this one specifically was Dr. Stanley's practice and his partners in Beverly Hills. And I went in there one day and I basically, you know, for a checkup, and I said, you know, guys, I'm kind of thinking about this application. You know, is this interesting? Could you share some data with me? We'd like to do some training and just see how effective the system might be. And Dr. Stanley kind of pulled me aside after and 
who's really interested. And this is super early days. And I said, why don't you start coming into the office periodically? And we'll just start working on this project and we'll see if it has legs. And, you know, at the time, we weren't really sure about the market opportunity or the feasibility or anything. This is all the way back in 2015, many years ago. And we sort of started comfortably building out this data set and these capabilities, doing the market analysis. My father is a retired dentist and I was interested in the category, but I also think dentistry has some very unique characteristics associated with it that make it a prime candidate for AI because there's significantly less friction than in other forms of medicine. You're not selling into large hospital groups. Data is more readily available. Dentists and DSOs are inherently entrepreneurial by nature. So you're able to distribute this technology much more widely and quickly. So it really is my belief that even though dentistry isn't necessarily first to the AI game, it is going to leapfrog with the rest of medicine. And it's going to become a model for how to deploy and successfully leverage these capabilities in a medical context. Okay. And so, Dr. Stanley, what was your experience with innovation before meeting Offer? What did you think at the very beginning about this project and its potential? Well, I would say my experience with innovation, you know, I was doing a lot of innovation, but not with AI. I really knew nothing about AI. I was traveling around the world and speaking to other doctors, teaching them about other types of innovations in dentistry, digitizing their practice and using uh, guided surgery and you know robots and this type of thing. And I didn't really know much about AI. So that was one of the things that I really had to learn. And I'm lucky that I had Ophir, who's really a veteran in this category, to teach me the basics. And there's certain times when I'll say things now and Ophir will be like, look at what you've learned over time. You know, I say all kinds of AI terms that, you know, five years ago, I didn't know. So I was really interested in this because one thing that I really wanted to do with my practice was help more people. I felt like I was limited working on one patient at a time. And this was really a way for me to scale what I do and help more people. So it was definitely something that I was really interested in. You seem to be a perfect team. So let's now move on to your product offering. So tell us more about your product, how it works, who's your customer, and also who's your perfect customer persona. So, you know, we have a few different customer sets. So we're really interested in servicing every major stakeholder in the dental category. So that includes, you know, laboratories, that includes insurance carriers, and that includes, of course, providers, which are main area of focus. It also includes other constituents like universities and otherwise. But generally what we're doing, and this is expressed in a variety of products, but generally what we're doing is we're providing highly accurate, real-time detection of pathology existing restoration and natural anatomy. And that expresses itself in a variety of ways across our different product sets. So in the provider community, we have two products. One is called Second Opinion. The other is called Practice Intelligence. And what we're able to do is look at a single patient or even entire patient populations, whether that's thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds or millions of patients. We're able to understand those populations at the level of the pathology, at the level of the restoration. One way to think about it is kind of like creating an index, like a Google-like index for patient populations where now they're searchable by virtue of the reality of what is occurring in their mouth. And that enables you to do a huge amount of very powerful things in terms of planning for patient visits, you know, certainly, you know, reducing share time, increasing the quality of care, interacting with various specialties. It's just really a game-changing capability when you're talking about day-to-day dentistry. And of course, fundamentally, this ability to assist practitioners in thoroughly 
thoroughly and comprehensively diagnosing patients uh, by virtue of their radiography is a huge benefit because what you see if you look at the studies, and we performed a number of these studies on our own, but others exist in market, there's a huge amount of inconsistency when it comes to both diagnosis and also treatment planning. So this is replicated across a wide range of pathologies, whether you're talking about you know perio-related issues or things like calculus or even various types of cavities. I mean, these things are routinely missed. They're routinely not agreed upon. And being able to just generally at a fundamental level, level up that detection capability really has the ability in and of itself to positively affect billions of lives. And one thing that I'm really interested in doing is creating trust with dentists. You know, dentists, we're not the most trustworthy profession. When you look at, you know, they do surveys on this, right? We're not very high. And why that is, is because there's so much uncertainty and there's so much inconsistency. So my dad's a dentist, my brother's a dentist, I'm a dentist. But if you show us each a set of radio graphs and, you know, a model of a mouth, we're going to have different diagnoses. We're going to have different treatment plans. We went to different dental schools. We practiced in different cities, even though we're from the same family. And that is so difficult for patients to understand. And, you know, back in the 1990s, there was a study from Reader's Digest where an investigative journalist went to 50 different dental offices and got 50 different treatment plans, you know, 50 different diagnoses. And it was basically to show like, oh, these dentists all don't know what they're talking about. They're all just kind of making stuff up. Well, all of the dentists think that they're correct. And what we can do with AI is bring in this level of consistency to where we can get the same diagnosis. Now, the treatment plan may differ because, you know, this dentist is more conservative or this person was trained in a different way. And I think that's okay. But having that standard in diagnosis will bring more trust to our profession. And when you have more trust in the profession, people are going to go to the dentist more. And that means they're going to have better health care. They're going to be generally more healthy. So if we can build that trust through AI and say, you know, Mrs. Jones, I don't just think you have a cavity here, but this third party AI system that, you know, was trained by thousands of dentists around the world actually agrees with me. I think that it's time that we take care of this. You're not just giving your opinion. You're giving your opinion with some type of third party unbiased technology. And that I think is what's so powerful about this. And do you think that dentists will be willing to implement this new, let's say, standard? Yeah, we really think that this will be a utility. And, you know, we're already seeing this. We're seeing a lot of uptake in the US and North America, you know, in Europe and Australia and UAE. We're seeing it really all around because dentists want to have that second opinion. You know, not only do you want to build the trust with your patients, but we also have the problem of a lot of dentists coming out of school and they're still not really confident in their treatment plans or their diagnoses. So they want somebody, you know, oftentimes they're looking for a mentor, but if they work alone, they can't have that mentor ability. And this is like a built-in mentor almost. You're looking at a radiograph, you see something, you say, you know, I don't know what that is. But then you see an overlay of AI and, you know, it's segmented out and shows you where if there's carries, and you can get that confidence to go talk to your patients. The good thing about what we do is it's it doesn't change your workflow. You're still going to look at radiographs, right? Mm-hmm. But now you're looking at radiographs with an extra set of, you know, an extra set of eyes, basically. It's like an extra big, layer, right? Yeah, an extra layer. You know, I'm a big car person, and I always relate it to this smart cruise control that you have now, right? Where it's keeping you in the lane, you're a certain distance from the car in front of you, a certain distance car behind you, but you still have the steering wheel, you still have the acceleration and the brake. And that's what I think doctors like is that they don't want someone to come in and take over their diagnosis. They just want a little bit of help. They just want to be, you know, stay in the lane. 
Yeah, I think an additional really valuable characteristic here that isn't quite as obvious off the bat, really there's two. One is we're able to measure things, right? So we can measure bone levels. We can actually measure how much a cavity is encroaching into the various parts of a tooth. And that's difficult to do, obviously, as a human visually, because this is a machine, we're able to actually take accurate measurements. But really the more important point here is as a patient communication device. So, you know, if you think about a typical radiograph, it's just black and white thing with some gray splotches and and white splotches here and there. That doesn't really mean anything to a patient. But suddenly when you're able to furnish that radiograph with detection boxes and segmented sort of detections as well, and also various types of measurements, and you're able to actually step through a narrative and a story and explain, look, we need to do a root canal because we are showing this periapical radiolucency. You can see that dark spot here that's denoted by the AI in this way. And these other detections, suddenly you're able to have a conversation with a a patient that is digestible and understandable. So one of the things that we've seen is that the treatment acceptance rates have really gone up significantly by virtue of being able to use the AI because you're able to clearly communicate this thing where, like Kyle mentioned before, there's sort of this desire for a second opinion or this lack of patient trust that might exist. And literally the name of the product is second opinion, right? That doesn't mean that if patients want to, they shouldn't go and get another opinion from another doctor. But I think Kyle really hit the nail on the head when he said that we really think of this as a Utility. We do not believe that in the next five to seven years, or call it 10 years if you want to be generous, there will be any dental practice anywhere in the globe operating in a non-AI-assisted fashion, and we believe that's going to happen very, very quickly. The desire for this product, both to sort of level up care, but also to communicate effectively with patients, is through the roof. It's not massively expensive. It's easy to integrate, and it's just hugely valuable. So we really do think that the uptake on it will continue to be very strong strong just because there's very few reasons not to have it. Speaking about the uptake, let us switch gears now to the business side. Talk to us about your business model and your most likely business hypotheses for your sales. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're pretty straightforward in that everything that we do is uh, software as a service oriented or subscription oriented, right? So to access our second opinion software, you know, there's sort of two levels, a light and a standard, and there's a monthly fee that you're able to cancel at any time. Similar with our other products, they're, for the most part, SaaS-oriented services. I will say that there are some things that we do without getting into too much detail that are based on consumption and volume. So sort of API-driven services where you're basically paying every time you hit the API for a certain type of analysis, call it for a 3D intraoral scan. That's more of a volume-based sort of enterprise. But we really think of ourselves fundamentally as a SaaS company. And another thing I would say is, you know, while everything that we do today, at least in the field of dentistry, is considered, I think, to be like fairly sexy, right? Those are artificial intelligence and computer vision. Those are fancy words. And you have all these visual detections that are appearing on radiographs and it looks really cool. Like, I think ultimately we just become part of the plumbing. And that's honestly my goal. I think that's when we've succeeded when we're just part of the infrastructure. And that's what we're building towards. Okay. And so is there any competitor on the market? And if yes, then what is your advantage? There's a handful of competitors in the market. I would say it's generally, you know, it's an exciting time in that there's a lot of, you know, growth and traction occurring and awareness and acceptance 
but it's also still relatively nascent. Like it's still early days and the market is being determined. I would say that we are sort of the first well-funded company to have entered the category. We have regulatory approvals across most of the world, which is very unique. We have a significant patent portfolio. We have the most traction and revenue, to my knowledge, in market. And I would say that we're also, like I said before, you know, especially focused on the provider side of the market. Other players in the space that are more focused, say, on payers or on, you know, just different segments of the market. So, you know, people are picking their lands on some level. By the way, how much have you raised so far? So far, we've raised about 20 million and we're ramping up for a Series B, which we think will happen later this year. Okay. And so what's your, you know, grand vision for Pearl as a company for the next, say, five to 10 years? What's your grand plan? Yeah, I mean, I kind of alluded to it before. It's to go from being real sexy to really unsexy, in, in my opinion, which is the sexiest thing you can do, right? So we really want to be part of the plumbing. We really want to be part of the infrastructure. We want to be part of the fundamental architecture of how the dental industry operates, whether that's with insurance carriers and this notion of real-time you know, claims adjudication, or obviously with providers where you're providing not only a whole host of diagnostic support, but also treatment support. You know, what's exciting about this category category is that you have the fundamentals, which is, you know, pathology analysis and leveling up standard of care. But really, when you look around any corner or dig into any particular stakeholder or specialty type, you find 100 additional opportunities to apply this technology effectively. So I think continuing to infuse this capability across different specialties, whether that's, you know, everything from pediatric to orthodontic, periodontic, endodontic, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Certainly on the laboratory side, there's obviously a revolution that's going to come on the 3D side of the spectrum with CBCT, cone beam, and we're playing there as well. So I think there's no lack of interesting problems to solve. And I think there's no shortage of value that we're in a position to add just because there really is an ability here to sort of elevate the standard of care in ways that are quite profound. So that's what we're working on doing. Okay. Would you like to add anything to the vision part, Kyle? Or yeah, just going back to the whole utility of AI and you know making it unsexy, I think is so right. Looking back 20 years ago, if you had digital radiographs, that was very sexy. Nowadays, it's like, of course you have digital radiographs. I mean, you're not dipping images, right? That's just what it is. That's how the technology has progressed. And I think that's where we're going to be in just you know probably five years is, well, of course I'm using AI on my radiographs. What do you mean? It's going to be so obvious and it's going to be like having the lights on. Well, yeah, of course we have electricity in our practices. You know, it's the same thing. Because what we find is once practitioners start using AI, whether it's to analyze their business, whether it's to analyze the radiographs, you can't take it away from them. They get really attached to this. And, you know, whether that's good or bad, you become dependent on something. But they, even me now, because I've been looking at radiographs with detections, whether it's boxes or segmentation on top of them, when I go to look at a radiograph without that, it's very weird and kind of awkward for me. I'm missing that level of intelligence. You know, I have my level of general intelligence, but adding in that narrow intelligence from the AI really is an additive for me. And it makes me a better person. It makes me a better clinician. I can do more things consistently and treat my patients better and feel good about myself at the end of the day. So yeah, just expanding on that. 
It's also a little bit unburdening of dental practitioners. I mean, dentists are just like hugely busy. They're often running their own businesses and their treatment planning and running and just running various elements of the enterprise in addition to issuing treatment and speaking to specialists. And it's just a huge amount of responsibility on a day-to-day basis. And they're also not full-time radiologists, right? They have to do radiology in addition to all the other things that they do on a day-to-day basis. It's just a crazy amount to put on, on one profession, one individual. So we think of ourselves also as both the but also unburdening practitioners so that they can just be more effective in their day and do so in a manner where there's just a bit of a lift in terms of just like the heavy responsibility that they undertake. Next question. Do you have any asks for our DG section community? Is there anything we could do for you? Yeah. So I guess two things come to mind. One is, you know, awareness and evangelization. We think this is a very important technology. Education is always part of the effort. Part of the battle is sort of educating people that these capabilities even exist in the world and pointing them to the appropriate resources. So always that. And second to that, I would say, you know, we're continuing to look for tremendous talent at all levels, certainly engineers, front end, back end, machine learning and the like. I'm I'm sure like most other tech companies out there, but that's kind of an always on thing. And also health tech executives at various levels. So both talent and awareness, my perspective. Is there anything specific that would be your advice for other digital health founders? What should they focus on? How should they approach projects? And are there any lessons learned from the past that you think could help them build better products? Something that I've learned, especially over, I'd say, the last three years, is really not forcing the product market fit. I think when we came into this, we thought people wanted things a certain way. And, you know, you can be wrong. And it's taken really getting it into, you know, thousands of offices to realize what people want and what people don't want. And so that was a big learning lesson for me was we came in thinking, you know, we know exactly what they want. And, you know, 80% of the time we were right, but 20% of the time they wanted it in a different way. So not forcing that, knowing that you're going to have some hiccups, maybe have some failures in certain areas, but to keep going and refining. You know, you start where you go too high and too low and then you better and better and better and better. And eventually you get on that line to where you've got the fit, you've got the clients, they're super excited. You've got the team. And that's kind of the place where we are right now. Yeah, I guess I have two forms of advice. One would be around timing, right? So timing is incredibly fundamental. It's actually one of the reasons, you know, I left my previous post to come and do Pearl is because I recognized that this was a very unique moment in time where you had this technology, which was going to represent sort of a paradigm shifting moment for an entire industry. These things happen periodically in dentistry, for example, and in all categories, but they happen every few decades. So it's entirely possible that you live an entire lifetime or entire professional lifetime and just don't see one really occur. And that's so often what people get wrong in technology and in healthcare efforts as well is just mistiming the market. You know, if you're too early, there's just not going to be an audience for what you're trying to represent. You're going to sort of run out of time and money, and that's a problem. And if you're too late, then it's not interesting because people have already sort of captured all the flags. But if you get it just right and you're able to ride this wave effectively and really lead the charge, that's a very, very special characteristic for any company. And that's the kind of thing you can't buy and you can't force. It's just, just sort of the march of time and aligning with capabilities. So that's huge. The other thing I would say is that, you know, people often get very caught up on the technology that is being employed. So in this case, it's artificial intelligence, but it could be any number of other things and forget to generate 
generate fundamental value and generate a successful revenue generating business, which at the end of the day, you know, if you talk to a doctor, like all they care about is, you know, are you delivering enough value to me such that I can deliver my $200 uh, or whatever it is a month to you? You need to add real value. You need to have a real product. And, you know, the technological excitement might get you some press. It might get you on stage. It might get you some investment. It might get you in the door. But it doesn't automatically make for a successful commercial product in market, right? That's its own thing. So people, I think, would be wise to really focus on product market fit above just sort of the, you know, how cool a particular technology might seem. Let us wrap up with your recent inspirations. We'd love to learn if there's anything you watched or read that you think is worth checking out by our community. One thing that has really changed my life in the last maybe two years is this book by Matthew Walker called Why We Sleep. And it also kind of ties back into dentistry because I think two of the big innovations that are happening in dentistry, one is of course AI, but the other one is incorporating airway with dentistry, how we breathe and how dentists are becoming involved with that, learning how to grow bones in certain ways so people are breathing better and therefore sleeping better. And understanding sleep, I think, has become so important. And it's really, you know, a global epidemic that when the medical community and the dental community get involved, I think we can prevent a lot of things. So I would highly recommend people reading Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And then of course, comes back to dentistry as well. I love this book. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And how about you, Offer? I like him as well. I didn't read the book, but I didn't hear him on a podcast. So I don't know. I guess a couple things come to mind. I recently read a book called Story. I think it's called Stories of Your Life or Story of Your Life by Ted Chong. It's a series of short stories. One of the short stories, actually the short story called Story of Your Life, was what the movie Arrival was based on. And it's really... The whole book, in particular, select stories are just really scientific, but also really beautiful and human. And I just loved it. I thought it was phenomenal. And I'm very impressed by him <laughs> as a person. The other thing I would say is I've just been getting, honestly, pretty deeply into deep into sort of crypto and NFTs and all the nonsense that everyone's being swept up. And I've been interested in it for quite some time, but I have been more actively investing, not necessarily in different coins, but in different companies that are powering some of this stuff in various NFTs with real world applications, I would say, not just the purely speculative stuff. And there's a great podcast I discovered earlier this week called What is Money? with a guy named Robert, I think Robert Breedlove is his name. It's a very impressive, really tremendous set of guests and very interesting discussions about all things around sort of like, I guess, the concept of money or currency or fiat currency, but at the deepest level and really its origins and what, what it means and all that good stuff. So I'd recommend that. Okay, we'll put links to all of the recommendations in the description section of this episode. Kyle, Ophir, thank you for joining today. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Producers Michelle, Carol is our editor. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to Digisection from the Health Podcast Network.